this month, I'm delighted to be talking to Jean Jackman, who featured in a recent edition of Country Homes and Interiors magazine. She gardens in the heart of the Sussex countryside and is passionate and knowledgeable about gardening. Her main enthusiasm, though, is to attract all sorts of wildlife into her garden by any means possible to create a living, vibrant space which is shared with nature. I really wanted to find out more about this, but there's something else about Jean. Together with her husband, Steve, she established the remarkable Floral Fringe Fair, a very popular annual Sussex event, which is eclectic, quirky and offbeat. So today I'm talking to Jean Jackman and Jean, hello. <laughs> and you're one half of the dynamic duo that's Steve and Jean Jackman. Yes, that's right. And we're in your lovely cottage, which is uh, near Petworth in the Sussex countryside. And you're very close to the Sussex Downs. Very close indeed, yes. We can see them from the window. Yeah, beautiful. Um, and you've got a fantastic garden that we've come to talk about because I heard that you're an amazing and passionate gardener and the garden seems to surround the house completely. Yes, well that was why we chose this, this position. It was just ideal. I'd always wanted to have a house in the middle of a garden. Oh. But there was no garden here. It was just all grass up to the house. Uh -huh. So the whole garden, I wanted four different rooms which is what I got. Well, that was 25 years ago. Oh, right. <laughs> so it's 25 years on. <laughs> I'd quite like it to be reduced, but it's very hard to take out things that you've seen growing for 25 years and reduce yeah. it down. Yeah. But I'm trying to gradually maybe simplify it. Mm. It'll never be simple, but it could be a bit simpler and a bit more open space. So we, we, we will talk about the garden, obviously, uh, as we go on, um, but the, it's a quite a, a big area, as you've uh, said. Uh, have you added more land to the no, garden? No, um, it's an acre. It's so, always been uh, an acre. Uh, okay. Yeah. And we've got a large vegetable garden. Um, and then we've got a lot of grass around the outside and we've got, we have changed that in the last 10 years because we've now got an area of long grass yes. with knapweed and hogweed and stuff growing in it for the wildflowers. So yeah. That makes it easier to manage. Right. Although yes, some people would think that a wildflower garden area is, is actually quite tricky to look after, in fact. It depends whether you're just letting short grass grow long. Yeah or whether you're actually creating a wildflower meadow where you're sowing things like um, poppies and um, cornflowers, which are annuals, which you have to do every year. Right. It's a very different concept oh, to okay. um, just things that come naturally. Right, right. And it evolves. The long grass area evolves. Sometimes it's knapweed. Mm. Some years it's um, dog daisies. There's the next year it's all hogweed, which is fabulous. It's a beautiful umbrella for insects yeah and the garden's all about insects and birds really that's right my so that's main the drive theme. To, mm -hmm. yeah okay lovely so I know the gardening is um, a very important part of it all um, and the other thing I know about you is that you use the garden to raise money for charity 
because you open for the National Garden Scheme. We do, yes. Because parking's not easy where we are, yeah. um, it means that we have to open by appointment. Okay, we'll come back to that charity in a bit as well, I hope. Um, but the third thing about, your, about you <laughs> is that I know um, you run, and in fact I think you set it up and organised it right from its uh, inception, something called the Floral Fringe Fair, <laughs> which is um, a bit of a... Tongue twister. Thank yes, you. A bit is. of a tongue twister, to say the least. Heaven knows why we called it that. It, <laughs> the fringe bit was supposed to imply that it's not standard. It's edgy. Quirky. It's edgy. That's I love that word. Edgy, edgy and edgy. Yes, edgy. <laughs> yeah. So what is the Floral Fringe Fair? Gosh, it's a lot of things. <laughs> it's basically very self-indulgent. It's everything I love and uh -huh. enjoy. Uh -huh. And it includes classic cars because I couldn't... I'm good at the creative bit and organising things, but I'm not good at practical things. And my husband's brilliant at that. Right. So he's responsible for... He takes over a week before the fair and he organises all the layout and the parking and everything like that it's really a nightmare to organize i can imagine and he said well i'll come and help you do it if you include classic cars <laughs> so that was the deal yes so but i've come to love classic cars too so yes particularly american ones well it's a good incentive you see mm. it brings the men in as well doesn't it i shouldn't it say that's very sexist but i know men can be a bit <laughs> crazy about classic cars and things they like can, that yeah can. so it's everything i love it's it's quirky it's edgy i hope it's got to be people who've made or cooked or created whatever they're bringing can talk with passion about it that's my main thing right i won't have people who are buying stuff in like a shop and then retailing it out it's got to be coming from their heart okay so it's everything i like which is food yes um Art, yes. Um, makers and, and crafters, people who are making things. Yeah. Um, vintage stalls. I love vintage stuff like old watering cans and gardenalia and bits and pieces. Um, yeah. And then mainly plants because that's my background. Right. So um, it was also really to do with when I stopped growing plants for a living, keeping in touch with everybody who grows plants. Yes. And keeping in touch with the industry. Um, and you know, promoting the best of them because it's not easy being a small specialist nursery. No, definitely not, and certainly not in these days when um, garden centres have become, I mean, supermarkets basically. You can do everything in a garden centre yeah. these days, can't you? You can. Um, so take me back to when it all started. When, when did this begin? It started when I helped a friend, uh, Joanna Mersey, at Bigner Park. Okay. And she wanted to run a plant fair in her grounds and she said would I come along and help her was she the owner of Bigner Park yes okay yes right. and, and when was this I think this was 2011 2010 okay. 20, mm -hmm. I'm not sure I can't remember without looking it up but yeah about 2010 and so we did it together and she didn't really enjoy it and said um you know oh, this is just you know it's too much really to do okay it's too much to organise, it's stressful, yes. I don't enjoy it. Yes. So um, I said, well, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I'd love to do it next year. Oh. And she said, well, that's fine if you want to do it, you, you help yourself and do it. Right. So I did it. In, um, in the same location? At Big Bigner Park, yes. Okay. And um, how many people were coming to that and what was it exactly? We got two and a half thousand people wow. over the weekend. 
goodness. Because we worked really hard to promote it, and, and I was madly passionate and enthusiastic about it. At that yes. Point. I still am. Yes. Um, and, yes, two and a half thousand people, and unfortunately... Um, Gina's son uh, decided that it was felt that it wasn't really suitable for there. Yes, um, because there was too many people, and, and I it's guess quite all the a parking, small, isn't it? Place. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. and so he said, "I'll introduce you to a, an eco warrior friend of mine at Nep Castle, uh, and that was Sir Charles Burrell yes. with his rewilding project." Because I'm very passionate about wildlife, and and. Wildlife is part of the fair, very much um, wildlife information. Right. Um, giving people wildlife information and plants for wildlife and that sort of thing. Yes. Um, so we went to Nep Castle and we were there for six years. Were you indeed? Okay, yeah. so when, I mean, that's when I think I saw the name, the Floral Fringe Fair. Yes. And um, as you say, Nep Castle has now really established itself yes. as a Rewilding place. project. Because and I, his wife, yes, has, Izzy, but Izzy, um, is written a book called Wilding. That's all it. about the project. Right. That's fascinating. Right. How interesting. Okay. And I wish we were still there, but unfortunately, um, our costs rose because who would have known that running a fair of that size could cost twenty-eight thousand. That was the biggest learning curve for me. I naively thought, oh, it couldn't cost anything to run a fair. You know, what could it cost? And then when you add on the marquee, and then you've got to hire toilets, you've got to have safety, uh, security, overnight security, you've got event insurance, you've got um, people to help with the parking, you've got people to help take the money at the gate, yeah. you've got a couple of people now to help set it up in the beginning. Yes. Uh, first aid. Yeah. It doesn't half mount up. Advertising, posters, banners. Yeah. It's huge, isn't it? Is. It is. It's amazing. So, it obviously, it's been, you've been a victim of your own success, basically. Yes. It's got <laughs> so, do you know how many, what's the maximum number of people you've had over um, the years? Well, so, yes, I think maximum number is probably about 6,000 <gasps> over the weekend. And was that when you were in Netcastle? Yes. Was yeah. that, that, you've got a big area there, haven't yes. you? So plenty of yeah. room for parking and so on and so forth. But and We've um, only had one weekend out of this, well, we've done eight now, one weekend out of the eight where it rained. Mm. And of those 6,000 people on the Saturday, 5,000 came. And on the Sunday, I think there was well, about 1,000 yeah. uh, when it poured with rain because it was forecast. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, on the Saturday, everything ran out. The food ran out by half past 11. The <laughs> toilets blocked. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't a good weekend, oh. that one. That was the worst one. Oh, but shame. Then, but then the um, costs rose because the venue rent rose considerably. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, after six years and we just it wasn't you know other than putting the price of the entry up yes there was no way around it sadly because yeah. nep was lovely it was yes oh it's fabulous abs- place. yeah beautiful location i'm very sad about it but we thought well we'll go to leonard's lee gardens which was just opening right now that's another big affair leonard's lee yes. because it's come yeah. back yeah, uh, hasn't it? So before we go on to Leonardsley, from the initial setup at uh, over Park. towards Bigner Park, yeah, it, it sounds as if the real development came from Nep Castle. Yes, definitely. What changed and what you know? How did that develop and how have you developed with it? 
Um, I suppose more people, and then instead of having to beg people to have a store, we were getting asked. That for me was the thing that I enjoyed most, that people were actually approaching me and saying, we've heard about Floral Fringe Fair um, and we would like a stall. Yes. Was it word of mouth? Is that how they heard about it? Yes, word of mouth. People had come to the fair and said... And the nicest thing was when people came on the Saturday and then rang their friends and said, you've got to come on the Sunday. Yes. Little things like that make it really worthwhile. Yes. Enjoy that. Yeah. And of course, it's quite weather dependent too, isn't it? The whole like yes, you implied we've been the day. So lucky, yeah. Even to the extent that one of the papers in Horsham put on the front cover, "Summer arrives at Floral Fringe Fair," oh. one year because it was literally, and in fact, every year it's been dreadful right up to Floral Fringe, and then the weekend of Floral Fringe. Even even one night, I think it was two years ago, we were standing in the marquee on the Friday night, and it bucketed down yeah even to the extent that the water came in the marquee and the whole floor was sort of an inch under goodness but by the morning it had all gone wow. well that was a bit scary yeah very scary and um you know thinking about getting cars up yeah um, onto fields for yes. parking and things yeah. like that it must turn into a bit of a quagmire i yes. guess if it's too wet yeah, so that is the most difficult thing is finding somewhere to run it where there's hard parking yeah Absolutely. This is impossible for that number of people, it yeah. seems to me. So 6,000 over a weekend, yes. that's extraordinary. You must have been absolutely delighted. We were, but we don't want it to get any bigger than that. Okay. Because it's, it becomes unmanageable and impersonal and it's definitely never going to be commercial. Is it not? Because it's all about passion. It's yes. got to be something we enjoy and the minute we don't enjoy it, then it's going it to finishes. stop. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, then after we decided we couldn't afford to go back to Nep Castle, sadly, we had so many people, had hundreds and hundreds of messages on Facebook saying, why have you left Nep Castle? This is a tragedy. But it was basically because we couldn't afford to pay. Yes. And, you know, we would have had to put the ticket up to a ridiculous price that then we would have people moaning about that. Yes. And we're keen that people can afford to come and bring their family because picnicking was a big thing. Okay. Um, people buy food from all the little local producers at the fair and then they picnicked by the lake, which was lovely. Yes. Um, so we thought, where can we go? We were going to go to Leonardslee, but Leonardslee at last minute weren't ready. Because no. they famously delayed their opening about three times. Yes. But they are now open. But so this year we went to Amberley Museum. That's right. Oh, okay. Which, so the original plan was that you were going to go to Lenzie yes, this year. Yes. Oh, golly, that must have been a bit difficult it to try and rearrange scary, it. The whole... Yes. And it was caused a huge amount of upset with everybody. Oh, shame. Yes. Because I think people get used to where they're going to go. They loved NEP. Yeah. Um, they had the space at NEP, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, and they planned their weekend. They planned their weekend the year before. Lots of people we found were planning to spend their birthday at the fair oh or to celebrate their silver wedding anniversary at the fair. I mean, it oh, became quite a, a big yes. yes. A, yes a, so there was a lot. I was really, really pleased about going to Amberley Museum because it meant that our not insubstantial venue rent, which I forgot to mention in the list of things yes. um, was actually going to the museum to help run 
the um, exhibits and keep the museum going and you know, it was a lot of money invested in the museum. It's small and intimate and characterful yes. and interesting and quirky. It's all those things, all the things that, that you love. I want. Yes, Laura Fringe. <laughs> and I wish we could have stayed there. But yes. A, we had a lot of complaints from our, our followers. Okay. They didn't like it because um, somebody said there was too much to see. What with the stalls and the museum exhibits. <laughs> That's a strange complaint, after all. <laughs> well, um, they didn't like the walk from the car park. It was a, it is a long walk. Is it? Okay. I and don't they remember it being that size of the stones that they're hurting their feet. <laughs> oh, I think you're looking after these people too well by the sound of it, actually. <laughs> but I can see their point that it was hard, a long walk back to carry stuff. Okay. Whereas at NEP, that, you know, to go to a field. It's a field, next to a yes, field. exactly. So, I mean, I did take the point, and they didn't. They loved picnicking by the lake, and of course at Amberley, there were lots of little quirky spots to picnic, but not quite. The it's same. a very different location, isn't it? After yes, all, it, it is, is. Yes, and um, I'm assuming you went on a working day, did you? When the museum itself was open? No, no, they oh. closed. Well, no, the, we had the museum exhibits all open for the fair. Yes, but it wasn't sort of open to the general public. You, if you came, you had to come to the floral you, fringe okay, fair. Okay, I get it. Okay. But so, so uh, and we parked down in the big field next to the river, yeah. which is full of marsh grasses. Yes. And you know, we just prayed that it wasn't going to rain because if it had rained, we would have been in trouble. Yeah. So really, that was the final straw of deciding we couldn't go back there. Right. I mean, it didn't really work for the fair, I don't think, because it was so strung out and people yes. didn't realise they had to walk quite a, a long sight. So um, Amberley became something that, although it worked very well that for that year for you, because it filled in, you, you know, at least you were able to hold the fair. Yes, yes. How, how short a period of notice did you have to try and reorganise the whole well, thing? We did, we did realise, well, I was having sleepless nights in <gasps> September. Oh, of the year before, <laughs> thinking, I don't know that it's going to be ready at Leonard's Lee. And then we, we were forecasting a bad winter and they hadn't done the car park. Right. And I just was had a sort of second sense that it wasn't it's going to be ready. Mm. And so we pulled out okay. then. To give yourself Thank some God time. Thank God we did, because they weren't yeah. ready. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, and yes, and then we had the idea of Amberley Museum. And yeah. thankfully they said yes. Yes. Um, uh, and yes, it worked. I mean, for them, I think it was very successful because the volunteers absolutely loved it because yes. there was all these people asking about their exhibits. They don't normally, not normally, have thousands of people through there in one day. No. So sadly, you know, unless they had been able to create another car park, which is just not mm. likely to happen, mm -hmm. um, we couldn't go back there. But Leonard's Lee was ready. And of course, then you're going to get the space again, aren't you? Yes. Because it's a beautiful yes. area of garden, huge gardens, and has been recently sort of brought back, recreated yes. in a way. Yes. Because Leonard's Lee's been shut for a long time, hasn't it? It has been shut, I think, for, I'm not sure if this is right, but about nine years. Right. Um, it's been derelict. Okay. And then um, a lady called Penny Streeter bought it. Mm-hmm. And she's she's put her son Adam in there as the manager. Mm. Um, and he's um, facilitated the restoration of the garden. It's like a, a Cornish Valley garden is the best way to describe it. Okay. It's, it's quite unusual. It's a chain of nine lakes, I think it is, left over from iron smelting. 
And then the load of, I think I'm right in saying, the load of family who were plant hunters brought back all these unusual rhododendrons. There's some very, very unusual rare plants there. Uh-huh. And steep-sided valley either side of these lakes. So right. it's not somewhere you can actually stage a fair in the garden. No. Um, but the fair's going to be in the deer park. Right. Which is similar to Nep, really. Yes. Um, with a beautiful view of the South Downs. Yeah, fantastic. That's going to be wonderful. Yeah. So it's. I know that Lennersley, the garden itself, is um, beautiful to visit all year, but specifically springtime, I think, yes, is supposed to be wonderful because of the rhododendrons and the azaleas. azaleas. Yeah. Yes. And then mm. our fair is on May the 30th and 31st, 2020. Right. The weekend of. Um, and the rhododendrons will still be flowering then. Wonderful. So yes. we'll um, get some small specialist rhododendron nurseries to come to the fair. Right. And you have other, pl- I mean, this is the plants was one of the main yes. things that you started it all off. So what other sort of plant stallholders? We have stallholders 15 nurseries. Do you? Gosh. Yes. It's, it really is where it stems from. I didn't emphasise that at the beginning, but it, it really is because of my background in horticulture. Yes. It's really where it stems from. So 15 nurseries and possibly more at Leonard's Lee, I think. Yes. We haven't started booking them yet. Um, and wildlife is the other main theme. Yes trying to help people understand how they can make their gardens more wildlife friendly. Yes. So we had, when we started, we had the Bumblebee Trust, the Butterfly Trust, the Amateur Entomologists, um, all sorts of people like that, charities. But the problem with that is that, A, they can't afford to pay for space. Yes. So that gives me a problem. Yes. Um, And B, they can't find the volunteers. And over the years, they've all sort of, you know, withdrawn from it because they can't af- they can't get the volunteers to run it for them. Oh, right. The only one who does come every year is the Sussex Bat Trust, oh. which does a fantastic job of. Um, they bring bats, injured bats, possibly that they're helping to recover, and yeah. children go in this little tent and they learn to handle the bats and not be frightened of them. Yeah, which is great work. It is. Yeah, excellent. So Good. hopefully they will be there. Lovely. Yeah. And what about other organisations? Do they come along too, yes, like RSPB? RSPB yes, yes. and okay. um, Sussex Wildlife Trust come. Very good. Um, yes, I think that's uh, the People's Trust for Endangered Species came a couple of years. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure whether they will come this year, but I hope so. Yeah. Um, and it, so you've got all the plants, uh, the plant stalls and nurseries, and you mentioned the classic cars, um, people come um, to... It's just to exhibit them, is it? It's not a competition, No, the stars. They, I think it's we just do the do a cars. best in show oh, right. competition, so the most beautiful car or the most quirky <laughs> car. Um, it's also... other Two other things I forgot to mention. It's very dog-friendly. OK. All of the places we've been, we've made sure people can bring their dogs on leads because that's yes. a massively popular... Um, feature and uh, Leonard's Lee is the same people can bring their dogs on leads Um, and the other thing is steampunk it's got a steampunk theme running underneath it's not a steampunk fair but we we love steampunk ourselves right so what is steampunk (laughs) (laughs) I might know it when I see it but I don't know how you'd explain what it is it's difficult to analyse it and how is it that you're interested in it as well where's that come from we came across it on Eastbourne Seafront. In fact, this weekend coming up is the steampunk 
fair on Eastbourne Seafront. So that's 7th and 8th of September, is yes. it, that the, that fair yes. will take place this year? Yes, okay. it is. And it's, um, it's, a, it's a cross between Victoriana mm-hmm. and um, sort of comic, Comic-Con things, comic modern... Um, I don't really know cyber cybernetics and all that sort of thing. It's all kind of it's what I do know is it's extremely eclectic and extremely creative. Right. And people dress up in these amazing costumes with just a, like a, a melee of everything. Okay. A Victorian dress with a bustle and a fitted jacket mm. and then um, long gloves and a, um, a big hat with goggles on it. Um, <laughs> Clock cogs everywhere and right. lace and and you can throw in all sorts of things and just make a very creative outfit. So it's hugely creative. So people come to the floral fringe dressed dressed yes, up as well. They do. They don't have to. They don't have to. Absolutely no, but not. People. There's a, a, lots of little themes going on. There's vintage. Yeah. So some people come dressed beautifully in vintage, fifties yes. or sixties or forties oh, even. Yes. And some people come dressed in steampunk. Yeah. And some people just wear, it's become questing to wear a big hat. Right. Just a big crazy hat with flowers in it. Yeah. I'm a very visual person and I love everything to look interesting and colourful. And we've sort of, we persuade the stall holders to all wear something interesting. Yes. Um, and the visitors as well, if yeah. they want to. Yeah, and it must rub off, because I do remember the NEPCA, and the weather was superb that weekend last year when I yes. came. It was unbelievable, beautiful, hot, it, really a bit too hot in some ways, but everybody was just having the best time. Yes, and so, uh, so friendly, and plenty for the children to do, and there were... There was music too. What? What? Yes, uh, we. Um, it wasn't supposed to be a music festival, and it isn't a music no. festival. But we um, bumped into somebody in Chichester singing in the street. A young man called Archie McGowan, mm-hmm. and he was singing songs from Les Misérables. Right. Um, and it was absolutely stunning. And we, I went up to him and said, "Would you come and sing at Floral Fringe?" Yeah. And he was a bit sort of like, "Oh, okay." And but he did come, and it was incredibly successful. And then from that, I started noticing other people singing in the street. Yes. And if it was anybody that was, you know, I thought would fit in, yeah. we went and asked them, and it's it sort of snowballed. And now we have Mythigo Morris come. Sorry, is that the oh, Morris clock? Ah, oh, it's lovely. Mythigo Morris come and dance. Oh, it's a Morris dancing yes. setup. Okay. And we have Styx drummers who come and um, do sort of steampunk, dress in steampunk and do drumming. Oh. Um, what else do we have? Um, we have a rock choir come. Oh. Um, and some belly funk dancers who are ladies who dress up in steampunk clothes and do sort of belly dancing. Wow. So the more eccentric it is, the it's better it, yes. it is. Belly funk da- Now that's a new one. <laughs> Belly funk. Yeah, I'd not heard of belly funk. <laughs> not ballet funk. No, belly funk. funk. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, so we like we like to get performers, but sort of kind of offbeat performers. Yes. We would love to get somebody called Professor Elemental, who is a steampunk. Um, he, he sings and 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 tells stories. Um, and he's in local in Brighton, so we're hoping we might get him. And we had this year we had Paul Snook. Who has he's made a submarine out of a caravan, right? And uh, again, steam, that's a whole yeah, steampunk, steampunk thing. Yes. Okay, yeah. right. 
Wow. So does he drive it? I mean, is it... He tows it. He tows, oh, he tows it, it along. Okay, car, yes. Okay. But then he appears in it and he sings and he has a mermaid who appears in the back window. As you do. As you do. <laughs> <laughs> He's brilliant. I can't wait. I'm going to put this in my diary right now, May next year. What date did you say? 20th? May the 30th. Oh, and 31st. May... May the 30th, 30th and, and 31st. 31st. Perfect. At Leonard's Lee Gardens. Yes. And that were well, Leonard's Lee Gardens. Now, where are they? Yeah, they're at Lower Beading near Horsham, just south of Horsham. Okay. In West Sussex. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know Leonard's Lee has had a lot of um, promotion about it because it's recently opened. So hopefully it should be fantastic yes. for your event. Lovely new venue. Sounds wonderful. So I know, Jean, you've said that you've got a background in plants yourself. But, um, I mean, setting this whole affair up and the organisation it takes, do either of you have a background in events management? No, none whatsoever. <laughs> How on earth have you managed to do it? It's extraordinary. <laughs> um, I don't know, to be honest. We just it just grew like Topsy. Yeah. Um, we just grew with it. We were very green to start with. Things like we know now that we don't like generators. A lot of um, stallholders who are serving food have sort of noisy, smelly generators behind their stand. Mm. And the first couple of years, we we let people come with generators and then we've realised that that doesn't help the atmosphere. So they have to have um, gas or leisure batteries. And there's all the health and safety implications which we've had to learn. Yeah, that must be huge. That is huge. I don't... I don't enjoy that bit, but Steve's no. much, much more on the ball with that sort of thing than I am. Okay, he and he, he, you that. said he does a lot yes. of the practical side yes, of organising. Yes, he does the practical side. But it must be so time-consuming. So does, how much of your time does this take up? I mean, are you well, both me? on this full-time? No, 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 no. <laughs> Steve, Steve kind of does a bit here and there with the health and safety, yeah. and then his real work starts a week before, when over the years we've found that it's best if I then withdraw because otherwise he's going there to set it up and I come along and say, oh, I don't like that there. Can we have it over here? So now <laughs> I completely withdraw a week before and he does that bit of it. But okay. I start now, September, Yes. and I start um, asking people to um, have a, f a stall. So mm -hmm. I send out the booking forms and I'm looking for new people all the time. Uh, going to fairs and things. Yes. Um, it's very much curated. It's not. It's not that often that I do take people who approach me. Right. Because quite often it's something we've already got. Yes. Or something I didn't feel would fit in. Because you've got this vision of what you Absolutely. how how you want it to very be and look. Strong vision. Yes. Right. Right. Yes. Good. And exactly what I want it to be. Yes. And I want it to be kind of a, a real eclectic, quirky mix of things. We had a lovely girl this year, a couple, who young couple who have um, a stall they call Make Litter Picking Cool. Oh. And she dressed up in plastic bags and <laughs> bottles and things, as you do, and promoted litter picking, particularly to children, and had all sorts of displays and things and about you know how how much we're polluting our planet. Yes. Um, and so I, I have about fifteen stalls that I give away the space. Okay. They're things that I'm particularly passionate about, like this litter, yes. litter picking and and the Sussex Bat Trust. Um, St Wilfrid's Hospice have been having a stall yes. uh, with vintage clothes and they did really, really well. Excellent. Um, so I'm always looking for new things. Yes. I wanted the Rain Appreciation Society to come but they didn't. 
pick up the invite. Oh, right. Well, all the th- you don't want rain on, on the no, weekend, no. having said that, do you? So. No, but I just got <laughs> such a lovely quirky idea, a yeah. Rain Appreciation Society. Yes. It's also a Cloud Appreciation Society. Um, that sort of thing, anything that's a bit quirky or yeah. um, worthwhile. Yeah, fantastic. You've got your new location coming up this year. Um, do you hope that that will continue into the future? Yes, we've sort of um, asked Adam, uh, who owns Lee Gardens, if we could sort of have a, a rough idea that we could be there for three years because keeping on moving um, is not really the best no. scenario. I'd rather it was it stayed. I'd rather it stayed at Neck in the first place, but yes, it just yeah. wasn't possible. No. Um, for all those people who think, who say, why did you leave NEP? Mm. A lot of people have said that. Mm. Um, it was totally financial. Yes, yeah. Um, but yes, so we think we're going to be at Lennersley. We hope we are, if it's successful this year, for yes. three years at least. Right. Um, and yes, just want it, we don't want it to get massively bigger. We have around 135 stalls. Okay. And that's just the right size for it to be manageable for us. Yes. And non commercial. Um, and not too big for people. I'd hate, I hate anything myself, the way there's hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people all milling and pushing, and yeah. it's not going to be like that. Okay. Um, so, yes, I just hope it will continue and, and get back to what it was at NEP, yes, really. Yes, Because that's what people like, that yes. sort of being able to picnic on the grass under the trees and, yeah. and watch the music and relax and make a day of it and have yeah. a gin cocktail. Yes, and, yeah. Lovely. Um, I mean, do you think you'd ever open for another weekend as well? Because the demand must be there for it. No, (laughs) No, she said firmly. It's exhausting. Yeah. I mean, I really am knackered. Both of us are. Because it's not, it's a week of build up for Steve, Mm. and then it's a week afterwards of a breakdown. You have to go and take down signs and pay everybody and sort it out and tie up loose ends and make sure everything's taken away and the site's left as we as we found it. Yes. So it is a lot of very, very hard work. I'm sure. Yeah. We did think about doing a Christmas one, but I don't I think my passion would be watered down if we did. Right, right. So well, you just have to see how it goes at Leonardsley. I mean, you know, you might well, find decided, you could, it I'm, runs I'm itself. Not... Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> Um, when did you first start getting interested in plants and gardening and all when of this? When I realised I couldn't, I wasn't going to become a teacher. I trained to become a teacher, an art teacher. Oh. And I did the three years training and I got the degree. Yeah. Um, and then I got a job. Yeah. And I absolutely hated it. Oh. 35 children all looking at you, expecting you to come up with the goods, (laughs) keep them in control and give them something to do. And I think possibly I'm quite an introvert. Right. I've learnt about myself now and it just It wasn't the right match. No. No, that's fine. Well that's a shame that you did but still all that training has been fantastic. Course and I thoroughly enjoyed it because it was art. I was majoring on art, which I love because I paint. So it was um Yes, I enjoyed the course, and then I, having got the job and, and left it, yes. I had to do something, so I went to work on a nursery, oh. doing the weeding, because I loved plants. Already oh, you'd loved, already? already loved plants, okay. yeah, because my mum was passionate Was she? Plants. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I went to a nursery to do the weeding. Was this in Sussex? Yes. Yes. It's um, what is now, I think, still far plants. 
I don't know if it still exists. Okay. But anyway, I went to work on the nursery and I was lucky enough that the chap who owned the nursery called David Tristram um, was passionate about plants. He mm. wasn't just running it as a business. Oh dear, another passion project. Here we go. Yes. <laughs> and he taught me so much about plants. Oh. Um, and then I went on to work when his wife um, started her own little herb nursery, an yes. alpine nursery. I went to work with her. Um, and worked for a long time uh, on the nursery, or doing the weeding, the propagating. And then from that, I got a job. I decided I, I did like advising people, helping them with their gardens. Yes. So I got a job working in a garden centre. Uh-huh. And from there, I worked up and learnt about plants and became a plant buyer, which was my favourite job of all. Wow, great. So Imagine that. A budget choosing. to go and... Yes, <laughs> it was fabulous. I loved it. Right. Who, who were you working for at that point? I was working for a lovely chap called Bernard Newman, who had a, a roofing company called BJN Roofing in Horsham, which I think is still going. Yeah. I think he's long since passed away. Okay. Um, and I worked for him in a little walled garden in Horsham, Oh. And then after that at Pulborough. Right. At, um, it was called Nightingales. Uh-huh. But it's now a housing estate. Oh. Yes. That's the going away that garden centres are going. <sighs> yes. The story of today. Yeah. So it got taken over several times and I was buying unusual plants, um, things that other garden centres didn't have. Like, as usual, I had to have something different. That's <laughs> always been, you know, a bit of a reprobate, really. Okay. Um, and... The, it was taken over by a big conglomerate mm. um, run by accountants and they said, no, we don't want all this unusual stuff. We want you to buy Berberus and Potentilla and all these landscaping plants. Of course, A, I lost interest and B, none of the customers wanted it. No. They just didn't want that. They wanted no. the unusual stuff. Yeah, they were real plantaholics. Yes. And whereas the other thing, again, it's back into commerce. It's very isn't short sighted it? because it's, I think, going the specialist route is really what's um, the most successful. Right. Um, so then in the end, it just closed down. Oh, shit. Went bankrupt, yeah. So by this stage, you were obviously very knowledgeable about plants yes. and so on. So I started my own little nursery at home. Aha, uh -huh. okay. So Specialising in all English sorts? English native wildflowers. Right. And plants to attract insects and birds, which both of those things, going back... 25 years, were very unfashionable. Weren't they? Yeah, that's true, of course. But now we take it for granted that this is sort of something we should all... But it's because it's pushed at us all the time now because it's so yes. essential. Yes. But you're right, yeah, 25 years ago yes. it was unusual. And I liked green flowers um, and black flowers and strange anything slightly unusual and anything that would attract insects. Right. So I started growing them at home. But to sell them, we used to take them every weekend to plant fairs. Gosh, that's hard work. That's how I started to know about plant fairs as well. Okay. So it's all sort of meshed in. With... Yes, yes, right. Yeah. So they were local, local events? Yes, these were pretty largely. much, yes. Yeah. Um, and Steve, of course, had been working all week, and then he at the weekend he would very sweetly load up his van, and we'd cart it all to a place and sell it, and... I wasn't terribly successful because I had to talk people so hard into buying my plants for wild 
for a wildlife. Yeah, but you, were edu- you see, you went. Te- you say you didn't take a job as a teacher, but you were educating people. Yes, back then, one to one. You are, you see. Fine, but it was just having all those <laughs> that huge class. Yeah, children it's not for everyone. There. Not for everyone. No. Oh, fantastic! And so people gradually became interested in the wildflowers. And yes, there was always a sort of a sort of small core following who would buy stuff and were interested. Yeah, um, and it was quite often younger people because the older people will come along and say oh it's not a weed I mean nobody would say that now would they <laughs> they wouldn't it's dare. a wildflower may all your weeds be wildflowers yes um so yeah um yes I was mostly selling to younger people then um but now it's mainstream isn't it yes. through Chelsea and yeah and you're not, you don't run a nursery now. No, you haven't got time. You're too busy to. Well, when I stopped, stuff. when I started doing floral fringe, I stopped running the nursery. Yes, and it's, yeah. um, I much prefer it. The running the nursery was hard work. Um, you know, watering every day, no matter how you felt. Yeah. And um, and battling insects, eating the plants, and yeah. then wastage and it's not an easy life not at all and then if you're selling at plant base it's very yes. physical work to yes. load and unload i mean yeah it's absolutely huge that isn't it, it certainly keeps and, you fit and propagating no doubt or seed yes, sowing absolutely. no matter what how yeah. you're working what are your top four or five plants to have if you want to attract insects into your garden well the first most important plant to me is ivy right Ivy, just ordinary common ivy, uh-huh. which I've I've put in posts and I've grown ivy, let ivy grow really, don't even grown it, let ivy grow up the posts until it becomes a hedge, mm. and when it gets to a certain size, it flowers. Yes, and ivy is brilliant because it's evergreen, things can hide in it, insects and things, things mm. can nest in it. I'm always seeing wrens darting in and out of the ivy, getting spiders. Um, it then flowers. And the flowers attract hundreds of honeybees and flies and insects. And then it goes to berries, mm. which the birds like in the winter. Mm. And the pigeons even eat the leaves. Not that anybody wants to attract pigeons. No, not particularly. <laughs> um, so, so ivy is my top plant. Right. I'd never be without ivy wherever okay. I went. And of course, ivy is also lovely as a, a plant, a foliage plant for yes. flower arrangements, There's isn't it? And for Christmas, you know, the berries, people love to spray them and Absolutely. all this sort of thing. Okay, There's ivy's on the list. Leaf forms as well, like bird's foot ivy and variegated ivies. There's lots of different colours of ivy. You don't have to have just green. Right. I think the common native green is probably the best for the wildlife. Okay. Ivy. So ivy's your first. Um, I suppose knapweed is another plant for wildlife because you get the, the purple flowers. The, well, several different, and there's a yellow knapweed as well. So the bees love the flowers. Okay. And then the seeds, the birds love the seeds afterwards. That's a right. good wildlife um, plant. And teasels, I love teasels. Yes, you have a lot of them growing in the garden and they're so architectural, aren't they're they? They're fabulous. Well, a great friend of mine is Marina Christopher who has <gasps> Phoenix Brennan. I've heard of her. Yes, she's a very <laughs> clever lady. And she's very into umbellifers, right. which um, I am too, because okay. they're good for insects. But not that a teasel is an umbellifer, but I've got lots of umbellifers, like angelicas, different angelicas, son of angelicas. Yes. Cow parsley, I have wild cow parsley all through the garden. Okay. It's so pretty in the spring, and it yes. dies right away Yes. and disappears um, in the summer, so it doesn't... You know, people are a bit horrified by the amount of it, but it's just so pretty. Yeah. And so good for the insects. Um, 
Yes, teasels, I've got about three varieties of teasels. Oh, right. Um, and they, again, they're good for the bees when they're in flower. And then the seeds, we get charms of goldfinches. Oh. We get sort of about 12 or 16 goldfinches out here on the teasels. Oh, my goodness. That's so must pretty. Be, yeah. And isn't that a lovely... Is it a group noun, a charm of goldfinches? Yes, it's it just is. so beautiful. It is nice. There's some <laughs> lovely words for, yeah. for um, groups of... Uh, birds. Yes. Um, uh, other other plants. Umbellifers seem to be very much in vogue at the moment, don't they? Yes. You know, that people are very attracted to. I know that there's something called is it Amimagus? Yes, that's and, a, a, an annual. Okay. Which is a bit more hard work because it's beloved of flower rangers. Oh right. Yeah. Does that attract insects as well? Are yes, they, I'm sure yeah. it does. Yes. And fennels yeah. would fennels, fennels be a good brilliant plant? For oh, insects. Yeah. Okay, fennels good. perennial. Right. I've got bronze fennel and green fennel. Mm. They're very pretty. Lovely. And marjoram as well. Okay. Just wild marjoram is good for insects. Yeah. Perfect. So those are things that we should all uh, rush out and get to get those the um, insects. And, and what sort of insects will you be attracting? I know you've mentioned bees and um, what else. Hoverflies, I suppose, and things like that. Gosh, I'm afraid I'm not very knowledgeable about insects at all. But they're just... all pollinating insects, are they? Is that the... No, I mean, I like all insects. I like to have all insects in the garden. Yeah. Right from earwigs and wood lice, spiders, and mm. bugs of all sorts, shield bugs and dragonflies. We've got a little pond for the dragonflies and butterflies, moths, but not many moths these days. Mm. They're really disappearing. Mm. Um and that's quite essential, Grasses. I said, the water, the water, having the pond. Yes, that's, that's very yeah. important. Okay. Yes, you get lots of, we get um, grass snakes around the pond. Oh, gosh. And we've got, oh, this spring we had the most amazing, uh, I've forgotten what it's called, of toads. It's, there's a word for toads. Is it, it's not an army of toads. I don't know. It's a, a, you know, a group word for toads. Oh, right, I'll have to look it up. so many toads in the garden suddenly. In the spring, when they were mating and going to the pond and doing like croaking at night, right, and so many toads that we had. To, when we came home, I had to walk in front of the car with a torch because <laughs> to say not running over toads. There were yes. so many. I've never seen those so road many. signs. You know, that beware of the and yeah. a big toad in the middle of it. <laughs> so many toads in every part of the garden. Wow. And we now occasionally in the summer. And turn over a stone or something or move a pot and there's toads underneath it. Yeah. The garden's full of toads. Fantastic. Um, but I think going back to planting for wildlife, the important thing to remember with butterflies is people plant things like buddleia mm. to feed the butterflies, but it's the plants, the larval food plants that are so important, the ones that they lay their eggs on. Okay. People forget that. You, it's no good just planting buddleia for them to feed on because you have to have something for them to lay their eggs on so the whole you get the whole cycle. Yes. And um, what uh, what sort of plants would be particularly useful for butterflies then? Um, grasses, to lay, long grasses. To lay their eggs? Yes. Ah, A okay. lot of butterflies lay on grasses, nettles. Yes. Um, it depends. It's best to actually buy a book and see each species has something different. Oh, right. There's quite a few. <laughs> to menu for them. <laughs> yes, you do, literally. Um, and it's very controversial. One of my favourites is ragwort. Ah, which isn't the, which isn't something the horses Charles like, Burrell is it? Charles taught me is actually supports. I think he said it was about thirty five species of insect. Really, and it's only become unpopular because 
I believe I'm right in saying that when it's dried, when it gets dried and it mixes in with hay or, or grass and is fed to animals, it's highly toxic right. to the animals. But I don't think they eat it when it's flowering and it's fresh. Oh. But it's um, one of my favourite caterpillars, the cinnabar moth caterpillar. You know, the stripy one that's black and um, orange stripes. C- cinna- cinnabar moth. Cinnabar moth, okay. And then the, the moth is magenta, oh. pretty little magenta moth. And I remember it from my childhood. And if you see a ragwort plant, sometimes you'll see 40 or so caterpillars oh. on it. Okay. Um, so, but that's not popular with lots of people. But if you're a long way from anybody who's keeping horses, yes, and it's unlikely right. it's going to spread. Okay, lovely. Thank you very much indeed. So that we've got the wildlife coming in, and you've you've really wanted to attract the wildlife into your garden, and that was right from the very beginning. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. To yeah. me, a garden is not alive unless it's got sound and movement and insects and birds I really can't be doing with these modern gardens where there's sort of things like cordylines and tree ferns and a lot of hard paving and yeah um, just no life okay to me it's got to be full of life yes it's got to present surprises and sort of fungi coming up in old places and strange insects appearing so in, it sounds like you're almost letting the garden look after itself yes. in a way i mean are you yes is that... you're quite right oh there is um, a school of thought that's kind of promoted by a gardening guru called henk gerritsen mm-hmm. and he um designed a fabulous garden it's a place called waltham place ah is this in Berkshire. oh no i don't it's know it's really oppenheimer's garden oh and it is very much that. It's controlled informality was his term. Hmm. Um, and you know, letting the garden... There's also somebody we went to hear talk called Rick Dark, who's Rick from America, Dark. who's okay. very much into the same thing. He designed the High Line Garden in New York. Oh, yes. OK, yes. yes. And he's very much the same. Letting things come into the garden and seed themselves... Um, sort of happenstance. Yes. Um, and then and then seeing which bits you want and which bits you don't want and maybe controlling it. So controlled informality. Yes, yeah, that's lovely. very much my style. Uh-huh. Lovely. Yeah. Gosh. And now that we're moving into, um, well, we're in September, the very beginning of September as I talk to you, um, what sort of plants and um, trees and so on do you recommend what are your top tips for september and then you know later later summer early autumn and so on what would you well september's my favorite month because i was born in september (laughs) so it's it's (laughs) close to my heart and um my favorite plants for september are euonymus you know spindle spindle tree yes this one out here is a spindle tree it has beautiful autumn color yes it does my goodness it's turning already isn't it it started turning in august yes And then red fruits mm. um, with orange berries. So it's a stunning tree. Wow. And you get um, all sorts of birds coming to eat the seeds. Okay. So that's nice. And it's, that's just called Euonymus, is it? To yes, particular... that's Saccalinensis. Euonymus Saccalinensis. Saccalinensis, okay. But there's a quite a few different species. Yes. Um, there's another lovely autumn berrying. I love berries and colour and um, fruits in autumn. Yes. There's another lovely one called Calicarpa, which has purple berries, masses of purple berries. I'm not sure if any birds eat them, but it's stunning to look at because the leaves go magenta and the berries are purple. Right. 
Um, so I have that. And also uh, a shrub called Eupatorium ligastrinum. Right. Eupatorium is... Related to Joe Pyreed. That's it, yeah. Yeah, but this is an evergreen shrub. Okay. With white flowers that come in September and October. And they have a very strong sort of incensey smell. Oh. And get covered in bees and flies and butterflies. Yeah. So, again, another insect and yes. this, the scent you're talking yes. about. And that's quite late flowering, isn't it? It is late flowering, but it's, uh, it is, was, used to be marginally hardy. Uh-huh. But now, of course, with the weather we're getting, it's reliably hardy. Right. And the other day I saw a beautiful shrub in Stenning near here. Yes. Um, called... I found out it's called Lagostromia indica. Uh, right, Lagostromia. I'll have to write like, this down. Lagostromia. Like Lager, right. Lagostromia. Yes. Indica. Indica. And yeah. it's a, a tender shrub, but it's apparently been there. It's a historical plant. It's been there for some years, but this year it's done stupendously. Masses of pink flowers. Mm. It's beautiful. Mm. So that's something I'm looking at getting for the garden. Right. And is there a scent? No, no scent. Oh. It's just beautiful pink flowers yes and sort of about 12 foot tall uh-huh okay. unusual lovely yes. sounds wonderful um, and honeysuckle honeysuckle is another thing that i grow for the wildlife because the red berries the birds take the red berries and they have the berries at this time of year yes, yes. and so the moths like the um, ah. flowers for nectar yeah great Right, everybody's going to rush out and um, we've got a shopping list now of all that we need for <laughs> September and, and the autumn. Um, you, you talked about you, the, the people like, um, um, was it Rick Dark? Yes. Um, and uh, Hank Gerritsen. Thank you. Uh, it, who else has influenced you, you know, in your style as you've got oh, into your gardening and uh, all your horticultural life? Has it changed a lot or...? Uh, no, it hasn't changed a lot, no. Um, two particular people I can think of. Joyce Robinson, who owned Denman's near Chichester. Ah, oh, yes. And it was taken over by John Brooks. That's how I knew the Denman's and I didn't know her name. So it was her garden. It was her garden, yes. Oh, OK. And it was, I think her husband grew vegetables and um, kept cattle and the glass houses... When they became derelict, she planted them all up with mimosas and things. Oh. And I worked for her for a short time. Oh, did you? Because I know John Brooks, of course, because he was, well, was. a huge uh, gardening name, wasn't yes. he? And yes. didn't he write a book called The Small Garden? Of... or the? He did. And a lot about design, yes, wasn't yes, he? Yes, he was very And major. worked out of that garden yes, then, did he? he okay. did. But that was after I, I worked for Joyce Robinson. She... She actually created the gravel garden, the idea of the gravel garden. Right. It was her idea. Uh-huh. And she taught me a huge amount. And then the other person who influenced me was Ivan Hicks. Right. It's a name I know, but yes. how, how did he influence you and where? I knew him because he was the head gardener at Westine Gardens. Oh. At one time. Oh. Before Jim and Sarah. Yes. Um, and he was um, very. He, he was very interested in the surrealist. He is very interested in the surrealists. Right. In fact, I recently contacted him when I was cutting down that conifer, that has got multi stems. Right. I, is that's coming through your garden? Is that the one that's got all the watering cans on it? <laughs> Yeah, it's such a fabulous and surprising <laughs> um, garden. Or I don't know if you call it. Yeah, thank you. Feature. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. So I contacted him to see if he had any ideas of what I could do with it. Oh. 
And he suggested, I don't know if you'll mind me saying this, he suggested I put a big platform up there, like a bird's nest, and made it into a love nest. Oh, that's an idea. Yes, but it wasn't Where's Steve? Is he not out there working on that at this <laughs> very minute? He did suggest it, and a nice spiral staircase, but it was a lot of work, so... Yeah. Yes, that was the easier option. Putting the water in cans. How many cans have you got up there? I Do you know? It's 26. They look fantastic. <laughs> it was great fun finding them. <laughs> They're lovely. I mean, that's quite surreal in its way, but it does somehow fit perfectly. It's great, isn't it? It looks really good. So, um, how did he influence you, would you say, Ivan Hicks? What was the... By being... He's, he also is um, quite a reprobate, and he would have things like lobster telephone in the garden and a typewriter with um, with house leeks growing out of it and um, he he trained trees into shapes uh-huh. he was just just such a um, unusual thinker yes and didn't do things in a standard way has he been to the floral fringe fair has he no. seen your steampunk and um, no he hasn't he, he I don't love think he has yet I keep trying to persuade him he lives in Dorset now <laughs> okay any other gardens in particular that you like to visit yourself nowadays? Yes. Where do you I find... I love Sarah Raven's garden. That's my favourite garden. Is it? Yes, Perch Hill. Okay. And that's in... Um, it's in East Sussex, near near Burwash. Right. And in fact, we're going in a couple of weeks' time for the dahlias. She has a cutting garden, but she's so imaginative and creative. Yes. And I particularly like the greenhouse. She's got a greenhouse where she has a big display of pumpkins and gourds and seed heads and tomatoes. And it's just so colourful and interesting. And clashing colours in the garden. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, And also the other influence is Rosemary Alexander. Gosh, that's so different, I'd have I know, said. I'm surprised that you it say her so name. Because she's quite a sort of traditionalist, she isn't is. she? How has she inspired you? Rosemary is a lovely lady, and she has a garden called Sandhill Farm at Rogate in Sussex. Oh. A beautiful little treasure box of a garden. Right. She's very passionate about plants. Yes. Um, and she she has the, well, she did have the English gardening school. I'm not sure whether she st- she owned it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and her garden is a real little treasure box. It's at um, Rogate, and it's uh, she's very passionate about plants, and it's beautifully colour designed and and immaculately done. Mm. Um, so yes, it's it's very opposite, but it's but I like all these different influences. Yes, and I can get very untidy in my garden. So when I see her garden, it pulls me up and <laughs> inspires me to be tidier and have some more sort of cameo areas. Okay, that are um, you know much tidier and neater and trimmed and you know. She's very inspirational. Yeah, I suppose, I mean, the, the whole wildlife thing, you've got to let the garden go yes, to bring in the wildlife. But, but at the same time, for your point of view as a, as a gardener, you need to kind of have some kind of structure control. to it, don't you? Yes. I, I, your, I noticed when I came in your beautiful hedge. What, what, what sort of hedge is it? Uh, it's a mixed hedge, mixed species hedge, wildlife hedge. And um, a friend of mine called Jenny Hook, who's a, a, a garden historian who used to lecture at Westine, she suggested when we came here that we cut it in a, a curvy shape to echo the shape of the downs beyond, and it was the best suggestion anybody ever made. Right. It was perfect. It's it, just yes. love it every time I look at it with the contrasting wild 
behind it. Yes. And this very tightly shaped hedge. Yes, it does. I mean, it's, it, it's just this wave form that you see. And it does so mirror the South Downs. It's beautiful. And the other thing that you've done, which I thought was so clever, is you've got a, what, it's a Luchian style bench. Yes, and I hadn't noticed that that was the same shape, oh. funnily enough. Well, you, it just the art is within you, that's all there is to say about that, because you've placed <laughs> it so beautifully. Again, that sort of... Yes, it, it does echo it, you're quite right. It's structured again, and somewhere, how lovely to sit there and uh, enjoy the the garden and everything it's offering. Yeah. It's just wonderful. Um, and, and on that note, I noticed you have got loads of places to sit in your garden. Yes, yes, and we do have <laughs> breakfast in the garden every day. Our you could choose a different location. We do, where the sun moves. <laughs> Lovely. We lay it out with a tablecloth and we sit out there for breakfast every day as long as the temperature is above 13 degrees. <laughs> Below 13 degrees, that's no. it, cut off, yeah. <laughs> We're in. Always lunch in the garden, same. Yeah. Just those two meals, yeah, always. Wonderful, yes, and I can see see why. Um, and as you sit, you're looking out at some really big trees. I suppose the, the um, these big deciduous trees that surround you. But also I've noticed that you seem to have exposed bark and stems oh, on yes. various shrubs and trees. Yes, that was the influence of Keith Wiley, oh. the garden house in Devon. Right. Uh, a little bit him and a little bit Ivan Hicks, because right. he did similar sort of things. Um, yes, it, uh, Keith Wiley uh, took up the, the level of all of his shrubs and trees to show the shapes of the stems and the trunk and the bark. Ah, is, is that what they call, um, is it raising the canopy? Is I think he called it lifting the skirts. Oh, I see. Oh, we better not go there. <laughs> sure okay, no, it. very yes. good. Um, the trunks and the stems look absolutely wonderful. Yes. So you've done it with a number of oh, different... Yes, it's addictive once you start. <laughs> once you start, and it's amazing how interesting the trunks are of some of the trees. Yeah. I never noticed before. Just things like grizzolinia and the pines. Um, what else have I done? Oh, yes, I, I do it to everything I, that I, I think, can. Um, coming in, there was some bamboo. Yes, well, that's different again because the bamboo. Um, when I worked at the garden centre as the plant buyer, some of my customers, a couple of guys who are my customers, had the national collection of bamboos oh. near here, um, and they chose those two bamboos for me because their whole garden was just bamboos, different bambus. Goodness, and. Um, they've both now passed away, I'm afraid, but they suggested these two bamboos um, and then they said you must always take the shoots off all of the stems so that you can see these beautiful yellow or black stems. Right. So I've always done that. Lovely, yeah. gosh. Oh, that's yes, that's interesting. And then, of course, with the leaves further up, you've got that beautiful sound of them. That canopy, yes. And rustling. lots of people have commented, or several people have commented, that if you've got a wildlife garden, why are you growing bamboo? Oh. But I was thrilled to find that the long-tailed tits had nested in it. In the leaves at the top, where it's very tight, yes. there's a beautiful uh, moss and feather nest. Oh, long-tailed tits. Wonderful. Yeah. Do you have problems with any of the wildlife that comes into your garden? What about things like rabbits and deer? and No rabbits, because we've un not unfortunately because we love them dearly, we've got two feral cats oh, okay. that somebody dumped. They oh. obviously brought them out to the countryside and dumped them. Oh. 
so we adopted them. Um, so we don't have rabbits at all because they like to eat rabbit. They don't like cat food. <laughs> They've got their own, yes, their own menu larder. sorted. Yes, thank you. Um, uh, we do get deer coming in. And as you can see with that Rosa viridiflora, the deer had eaten all the roses. And yeah. that's in August oh. they've done that because I suppose it's so dry. Um, so deer, but the deer are fabulous because in the autumn, mm. when you're lying in bed, you can hear them rutting. Mm. And for the first couple of years we were here, I kept saying to my husband, I think we've got pigs nearby somewhere <laughs> because I could hear this snorting. <laughs> and I, we, I just could not work out who'd got pigs. Right. And it's only recently that we found, well, not recently, a couple of years that we found out they were deer right. rutting. Yeah. It's a lovely noise. Yes. In the yeah. But pigeons are the worst problem now. We've got a pair of pigeons nesting in every single shrub in the garden, in the camellia, in the honeysuckle, in the grizzlinia, in the rose. <laughs> I mean, so many pigeons. I've never seen so many. Yeah. And the minute that the young have fledged, they're laying eggs again. Yeah. Just continuous. I think they're on a mission to take over the world, I pigeons. Think they are. Yeah. <laughs> they're unbelievable. <laughs> and they're so brave. I mean, they, quite often they'll come in the French window to see if there's any food in here. Wow, yeah. They're very cheeky. Yeah, very cheeky. Um, and the other thing then you, you've done, I know, is to open for the National Garden Scheme. How did that come about? Was some, did somebody approach you to open? Or were you... um, I started when I lived in Amberley. Right. Um, and the, they opened for the village. They still do open for the village. It's a very popular event. And I enjoyed it so much. Um, because it was that sort of educational thing, I suppose people asking me questions. Yes. And I still find that's useful because if you're not using plant names all the time, it's very easy to forget them. Yes. So if you open for the National Garden Scheme, not only can you share your garden and meet some very interesting people, I've made some lovely new friends. Yes. But also they ask you awkward questions. <laughs> so you have to keep remembering the names. Yeah. So that's brilliant for your brain. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, I thoroughly enjoy it, and um, you raise money for the charity. Yeah, and the charities are amazing, aren't they? That they raise they for are. it's terrific. Mike Millen and um, Marie Curie, mm. cancer. Yeah, so, lots. Yes, big lots range. of others. And sorry, just to um, repeat the fact that you, although you open once a year for a period, yes, next year in twenty twenty, I think we're going to open the first two weeks of July. Okay. After floral fringe, after we've got over floral fringe, had a chance to tidy the garden. Um, by arrangement, really. Okay. And so we just invite people to ring or uh, email or Instagram me or Facebook message me, anything. Yes. Um, it's probably going to be something like £6 next year, yeah. which goes to the charity. And yes. then we do tea and cake. Obligatory. Obligatory. That's about 3 50 and that goes to the charity as well. So, um, yeah, it's great. We seem to have lovely little garden parties this year. Lots of garden clubs, photography clubs, art clubs. Um, yes, youth, U3A clubs. Gosh. Several so different people came. Sounds like you're very busy in July as well. Yes, it's hectic. Yeah. But we thoroughly enjoy it. And Steve does the tea. He's in here with the uh, tea urn and the He's cakes. Practical side He's of things. Brilliant. And he... Is he a gardener too, at all? Or oh, he's he's very good at everything actually. And I couldn't do the garden without him. But he doesn't enjoy plants. Okay. He but he does do. He cuts the grass, cuts the hedges, 
And if oh. I've got, he's so quick at things, you know, if I'm sort of struggling to clean up and brush or something, he'll come out there and in sort of half an hour, the whole thing's neat and tidy. Sorted. He's much more organised than I am. Mm. But he'd rather be under a car. <laughs> <laughs> Fiddling with no, Fair enough. <laughs> and also, isn't he the one who's um, used a lot of uh, vintage tools as part of dec the decoration of your... Uh, yes. garden here. Yes, he's made a lot of gates using old tools that people used to bring us oh. um, and he's when we went to the plant fairs and selling my plants he got very bored just sitting there <laughs> and I'd had to stop him telling people if I went off to go for, get a cup of tea I could hear him saying yes that that would be fantastic in the shade and I'd come back and say it wouldn't you should tell people that <laughs> so he, he then he's good at selling though <laughs> So he then started making these metal girdles um, and metal squiggles, they were called. And eventually I started to get bored with going to the shows because he was taking so much more money than me. <laughs> and people would come running towards the store. And I thought, oh, they were coming to get some wildlife plants. And they weren't. They were coming to get 20 girdles, which they thought was hilarious. Ask your husband for some girdles. <laughs> And the idea of those is that they support the plants? Yes. Or, yes, yes that, yeah, okay, they're, they're yeah. metal support. Yes, so yeah. for about, I don't know, about ten years we did that, plant, me selling the plants and him selling the metal plant support. Yeah, yeah. But definitely. neither of us do that anymore. No, uh, well, I mean, we and do. it does, your gates and so on with these these yes. rusty tools, it's gone from rusty to rustic, hasn't yes. it? It's just lovely. Yes, they are fabulous. Recycling as well, and upcycling, I suppose, yes, isn't it? So it is. all reusing. And did you see the Bentley, the Bentley carcass as you came in? Ah, oh, is that the one yes, with the logs in it? I did. I didn't realise it was a Bentley. I'm yes. sorry to say. I must go and have a closer it's look. A, I hasten to tell you that it's a completely rotten Bentley. Um, it's not the chassis. I keep getting this wrong. It's the body. Okay. It's the actual car bit. Um, and it was completely rotten and full of fibreglass and filler and beyond restoration, if, unless you spent thousands and thousands and thousands oh, on yeah. it. So we had the idea of putting, or he had the idea of putting the logs in it as a log store. Oh. And it's the most photographed oh. item in the garden. <laughs> <laughs> and is that does that attract wildlife as well, or is it not meant to? Is yes, that meant to be your would. firewood? Yes, it would probably yeah. have yeah. You know, things hiding between the, yeah. the logs and toads, I'm sure. Yeah, and spiders and things, so yeah. wrens would love it. And I see also that you have a vegetable garden here, so yes. is that just we're, for your own...? We're totally organic in the garden and the vegetable garden, so we haven't used chemicals for 20 years at all. Mm. Um, yes, we like to have our own vegetables, mm. and we sort of narrowed it down over the years to sweet corn and beans and tomatoes, the things that grow easily, Yes, and potatoes and onions. Yeah. Lovely. And strawberries. And this year, for the first time, blueberries. Because <gasps> we've got acid soil. They're really easy in acid soil. But this so is far. clay, isn't it? Yes. Is clay acid? No, not necessarily. But ours is highly acidic, hence the China blue hydrangea. How is that then? Because I, I have always had the feeling that clay would be slightly alkaline, if anything. Is it, does it I just know, I think vary? clay is just the texture, isn't it? And then it can either be alkaline or, or acidic. acidic. Okay. And yours happens to be very acidic. Yeah, and it's it highly oh, acidic. Wow. Rhododendrons, azaleas, camellias, and blue, blue hydrangeas. Yes, I can see one out of the window looking beautiful. 
Um, difficult to work? Extremely difficult, solid, sticky and disgusting in the winter and you can't, so heavy to dig mm. and in the summer immediately cracks open. Yeah. Horrible soil texture. So what have you done to... Just added chicken manure and next door neighbour's got horses so horse manure uh -huh. um, and gravel. Uh, bark, just added all sorts of things over the years. Yeah. I think it was Sarah Raven who said make compost like you're making crumble mm. with flour, sugar and butter. So I can't remember what it was, but there's the three things, the three ah. constituents. I think the flour was the... Oh, I can't remember. I'm, no, it's not going to work. But you're, but you're yes. definitely adding yes. ingredients to it make a, a lovely recipe. Yeah. Oh, okay. I can't, I can't remember it. Oh, well, we'll have to look that one up. Great. So thank you so much, Jean, for letting me come and have a chat with you today. It's been absolutely fantastic. And uh, certainly the Floral Fringe Fair is uh, definitely on the diary for next year. We'll Good. look forward to that. Look forward to seeing talking to Jean I had a long wish list of plants, a date in my diary for 2020 and loads of things to follow up on. And one thing we did immediately was search for Sarah Raven's recipe for improving clay soil. Years ago she wrote a piece for the Telegraph and apparently you have to imagine you're making apple crumble on a large scale. Check out my Instagram account for the ingredients. I was completely impressed by the way in which Jean's passion for plants and all things creative and characterful has resulted in the establishment of the Floral Fringe Fair. The next one's going to take place at Lennersley Gardens on the 30th and 31st of May next year, 2020. For more information about Jean Jackman and the Floral Fringe Fair, visit the website at www.floralfringefair.co.uk on her Instagram account at Floral Fringe Fair. Her Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash floral fringe fair. And for details of her garden openings under the National Garden Scheme, contact her via her email, jeanjackman at hotmail.com. And you can also follow me as I continue my regular podcasting pursuits on Instagram at In The Weeds With Anne. Thanks for listening. See you next time, In The Weeds.